This is the one with Little Dave Sontaran. Killer Tom Toms. Murderous Mark Zuckerberg. Hotboxing the elderly. And the return of Martha Jones. It's called The Sontaran Stratagem. Here we go! We're still on our endless voyage, all through time and all through space. With Levine and angels now, Dalek, Soyla, Zandud, wow! Tennant, Smith and Eccleston, Gallifrey, it all began. Doctor Who is cool again, that was Russell's master plan. Who back when? Reviewing all new who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes, please. Rose and Donna, Amy Pond, Rory, Martha and beyond. Join us on this odyssey, what other choice could there be than who back when? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Or Doc Past. Yeah, that too. (laughs) I am Drew Back When, but one host for this evening. Tonight I am also joined by the magnificent... Ponkin. Hello. How you doing, man? I'm okay. (laughs) This uh, vodka cranberry juice is definitely a good pick-me-up for me, though. So I'm going to get better as the episode goes on. How are you doing? Well, this was a double deadline day, but I'm awash with cultural capital. <laughs> Having gone to a Oxford University Classics lecture, I am like as uber wasp right now. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I'm basically social unguent. <laughs> Both a good word and a very accurate description of what is before me right now, ladies and gents. <laughs> well, what is before us right now? It's the Sontaran Stratagem. There you go. So did you remember this episode from when you saw it the last time? When did you see this the last time? I never saw this. Oh, really? I never saw either part. This is all entirely new to me. Interesting. I definitely did see this, and I remember seeing the Suntarans at the time, but I remembered nothing about the story. Absolutely nothing. Sorry, with one exception. I remembered Martha being a military badass, but now I realize, wow, that did not really work, did it? I remember that. That's it. She was more a military badass when she came back, so to say, at the end of the last yeah, when she walked the earth like Kane and Kung Fu. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, on the other hand, not having seen this, had no idea that Martha came back. I was under the impression that she just disappeared forever at the end of last series because, I don't know, nobody warms to her at all. But no, she's back. Yeah, she's back. Okay, so here's another thing that I'd forgotten about this. This is a two-parter. This is but half a story that we're reviewing today. Did you know this? No. Not, not yes. any effect. No. Um, it was about five minutes before the end of the episode that it dawned on me, oh, this is going to be a two- or three-parter, isn't it? Oh, I see. And it turned into such a disappointment because I wasn't going to get any closure this week. Ah, oh, but you get a cliffhanger instead. I do, yeah, and I did. And uh, I'm very, very pleased, <laughs> in retrospect. <laughs> I take it all back. Past Ponkin was an idiot. <laughs> that guy had no idea what he was talking about. Right, so so we do have an idea what we're talking about. Shall we jump in? to a B-scale. Oh my goodness, do let's. Time for us to synopsize, lobify and summarize, so take a view, and grab a grip, and listen to this overview, this free-for-all, we like to call a bite-sized chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who. A journalist investigating billionaire wunderkind Luke Rattigan and another 49 people around the world simultaneously meet an untimely demise at the hands of Rattigan's lean, mean, carbon-reducing killing machine. This gets the attention of units, specifically of Martha Jones, now a real-life doctor and medical-slash-alien consultant in units employ, who interrupts the doctor giving Donna a flying lesson and summons her old friend back to Earth to investigate what they suspect may be alien tech. Be scow over, you are welcome. Aren't you just as i have been doing recently on new who would you mind if i start this one off with a question well i can't stop you go for it have you seen the james bond movie moonraker yes i have it's the one with the lasers it is the one where the lasers and jaws turns up and and all that jazz it is to us the bad guy there hugo drax 
immediately sprang to mind with Mini Mark Zuckerberg in this one. Oh. Because Mini Mark Zuckerberg, as I understand it anyway, he has his, you know, the Ratican Academy, where he's creating these genetically and intellectually superior specimens of mankind, whom he clearly is trying to get into space, right? Well, I'm not, I'm not sure what his end goal is. All I know is that it is the perfect cross between Hogwarts and Professor Xavier's Academy for <laughs> freaky earth-hating weirdos. Do you know what the place reminded me of? No. It reminded me of the school in the music video of Total Eclipse of Mars. <laughs> oh, <laughs> the, like, wow, yes! Right? With all the dudes with the lights in the eyes and, and everything. With headlights! Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so in the Bond film, Hugo Drax, he doesn't give a damn about the Earth. The Earth is going to, I don't know if he blows it up or whatever he's going to do. Oh, but man, he sounds villainous. Yeah, but exactly, yeah. <laughs> they should have employed him as a Bond villain. Wait, did they? Oh, yes. So he wants to get all these genetically and intellectually superior specimens into a spaceship and off to a different planet where he will start a new colony. I think that's the idea of Moonraker, if memory serves. Or possibly up into space, then blast the Earth, kill everyone, then colonize the Earth. Doesn't matter. Here we have Mini Mark Zuckerberg, a.k.a. not Hugo Drax, with his whole academy where he's just grooming all these intellectually superior specimens, and he's developing tech that will take them into space. I'm assuming it's something similar. If your question was, isn't this a brilliant parallel I found... Probably, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly... <laughs> I, I, I was just looking for confirmation there. I Affirmation. Mean, one point you raise there is, what is he doing with the intellectual people? I mean, they essentially just seem to be doing constant PE, or <laughs> as bouncers getting rid of unwanted journos. Yeah, which I'm pretty we, sure Hugo Drax does as well. Yeah, but we never see anything more of what they do. I mean, do they have a role to play in the second part, or are they just collateral extras? I think they're all super clever, and the reason they're doing PE is because they're training to be astronauts and they need to be physically fit. Okay, maybe. And then, all right, question. You've started off by saying, so they are acting as bouncers. Or oh, sorry, you started off. You, you no, pointed I'm, out that... I'm, I'm looking so worried because my phone has closed my notes and I can't remember how to open them. And I've never <laughs> been in such dire straits. <laughs> okay, well, so you... I lasted this long. <laughs> You pointed out that they act as bouncers and they eject this journalist. Do you think the other people there are aware of the fact that he is going to kill the journalist? The relationship is so undefined. That's what I mean by collateral extras. I know nothing about what they think or what they feel or yeah. their past or their present or their future. Yeah, fair point. And then after that opening scene, do they ever reappear? Only when the Doctor comes around and they jog on. Oh, you're right. Otherwise, it's just... Because, I mean, it's not like um, Rattigan is socialising with them at all. He's, In fact, he doesn't even have a squash partner. He's just batting the squash ball down the other end of his massive office slash great hall. And then presumably he has to walk the, all the way down the hall and whack it back up the other end. <laughs> 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 this is all this uber wonderkin genius does of a day <laughs> fuck Boy that guy. guy i did <laughs> whoever the actor was i mean i don't know if it was the quality of his acting that part of this that made me hate him but man he was effective at making me just despise him. oh yeah same here he is perfectly despicable but almost unrealistically so he really pulls off the portrayal of someone who thinks he is better than everyone else and who probably is cleverer than most people. But he also pulls off quite well, I thought, his interplay with the Sontarans. But what he doesn't pull off is insecure teenager or young chap. Yeah? 
Yeah, I thought that scene where he's with the doctor and he's just like, Oh no, he's he's not shy and retiring it, in front of the doctor. He's like, You made a grammar mistake. Totality. How is that, Mr. Conditional Clause? That I didn't think he pulled off very well. No, although I did like the very subtle grammatical education. Yes. That we yes. got. Oh, <laughs> my goodness. Episode. Was that part of your notes? It, it, you know what? It was. It was. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> I've even made a note of the soundbite, 2730. If only that was possible. If only that were possible. Conditional clause. Yes. Nice. Yes. Because apparently unit don't care about the quality of the grunt's phraseology because <laughs> that's otherwise extremely important. I don't know. All right. You brought up units. Yeah, unit. We haven't seen them since Martha mentions it. The Valiant, right? Yes, exactly. Since Sound of Drums? No. Yeah. Sound yeah, of that three-parter. The Last of the Time Lords, that's what it was. Yeah, you're right. This was a much more believable UK military scale operation, like... Let's forget about the flying ships, lorries we can afford. Yeah, I, I agree. It felt a little bit more like the unit that interacts with Pertwee's Doctor. Yeah, and a bit know? less like S.H.I.E.L.D. Exactly, exactly. Much less like S.H.I.E.L.D. In fact, I've got this down in my notes, but I'm not sure if it's true. They have a different theme, like there's a unit theme in this episode, and it feels very much... Like, it just feels anachronistic. It doesn't feel like something that would have come out in 2000 and whenever. Eight. Eight. All right. Oh, wow. It felt more like something that they may have sampled from the 70s Pertwee series, where he's constantly off on adventures with Eunice. Okay. I didn't notice this. It didn't jar in the music, and the music jarred a few times for me in this episode. Mm. Is it the instrumentation or the melody? What stuck out for you? I'm not sure. It just felt, it just felt so stereotypically militaristic. It felt like something that you don't necessarily get in modern depictions of this kind of um, organization. Oh, okay. So well, now I... you just get sort of action riffs in the background and, and long violin scores, like slow, dramatic violin scores, and, and the visuals tell the story instead. And back then, everything would basically be a march, whereas here yeah. it was so obvious, so in your face, it felt anachronistic to me. But I've got a little bit of information about units. You may not have noticed. They are no longer the United Nations Intelligence Task Force. They are now the Unified Intelligence Task Force. And do you know why this is? I don't. Because the goddamn UN got in touch with the BBC production team and said, that, that ain't happening, guys. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because throughout all of Classic Who, they were the United Nations Intelligence Task Force. And this is taken from IMDb or TARDIS Wiki, one of the two. When this came up for... <laughs> I, I, I can't take credit for this. I didn't read anyone's no, no, mind. No, I, I read I, this on I'm, I'm, My expression is wincing at the United Nations pettiness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not at your source history. <laughs> so in 2005, anyway, it becomes public knowledge, right? Doctor Who is being rebooted, and not just that. Unit is going to return to the scene, and the UN comes in and goes, I'm pretty sure that organization, Unit, was named without our approval, and guess what? We disapprove. So, yeah. Um, yeah. That's disappointing, because I thought Banky Moon had a sense of humor. He's the secretary general. He wasn't there in 2005. Well, who was it? Who was it? Was it Coffee in 2005? What, Kofi Annan? Yeah. Oh, you say uh, Kofi, I say Kofi Annan. <laughs> well, I don't drink coffee. So, I don't know. I guess we have a different relationship. If it had been Ban Ki-moon then... Oh, he would have loved it. Yeah, he would have had a cameo on the show. Absolutely. He would have been there on the valley. It's not too late. <laughs> it's not too late. Ban Ki-moon is coming to, to town. town. Love that video, by the way. <laughs> well, okay. I didn't realise we were both Ban Ki-moon fans. Oh, <laughs> 
totally. Ban, ban boys. No, it doesn't, no, it doesn't work. <laughs> Over the moon. Oh, oh whatever. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, so how did you feel about the professionalism portrayed by unit as such? Well, I thought, and this sort of ties in to last week's episode... Yeah. And may reveal a shortcoming of my review of this week's episode. It feels to me this year like Doctor Who is a lot more competent. Yeah. Like in terms of production values, in terms of staging firefights, Nick alluded to this last week. Compare the firefight we had outside Ood Warehouse with Doomsday. Oh my goodness, yeah. Where you've got static Daleks firing at static Cybermen. And outside you've got... Oh, this is so much more dynamic. Yeah, and not much time has passed. But at the same time, I feel like there's less character there. Like, they're catching up with the US in terms of production values, but and in terms of professionalism for unit, like a military operation. But I feel like perhaps some of the character is going. Oh, interesting. (laughs) Yeah, we still don't have anyone that we can relate to quite... Well, maybe now we sort of do. At least they're trying to give us characters that we can relate to as much and as well as we could the unit representatives in Classic Who. Because like back, the Brigadier. Uh, exactly. The Brigadier and Benton, who were like heroes. You know, they were on-screen heroes. And I, I remember them from when I was a kid. Now, I, I couldn't even name... Actually, wait, hang on. The head of unit now in New Who is Lethbridge's daughter, right? But oh, yes, yes. aside from that, I couldn't name anyone. You know, no. they are completely characterless. In as this is one, Colonel Mace. Colonel Mace. Is that the colonel in this one? Yes. Yeah, well, I was going to say, I felt like maybe they were trying to build on the same kind of banter that the Doctor had with Lethbridge Stewart's in Classic between Mace, is his name, and uh, Tenants in this one. Mm-hmm. No? Well, I, I see that, where um, Tenant calls him cheeky. Exactly. It's like, oh, now you're giving me orders. And... Oh, yeah. I just... They had a bit of bounce. They did, I suppose. No, I suppose you're right. Maybe I'll give Mace a chance, see what he does next week. Give Mace a chance. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I, my favourite Mace moment was actually Donna extracting the salute from him. Yes. Yeah, I love that scene. I love that scene. Okay, you brought out the D word. Uh-huh. I mean, I was also going to suggest that after we have this little conflab on Donna, yeah. we could call a moratorium on the whole Donna thing. I think it's fairly played out for now. Okay. Are you sure? You don't want to hear what I, I think? Well, no, I do want to hear what you, what you think, <laughs> but then I don't want it to overshadow no, 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 the rest of the episode. No, I, I agree. I want to leave friends with you, man. <laughs> I mean, it's nearly Christmas. I mean, I got you a present and everything. I don't want to have to take that back. Oh, shit, I haven't got you one yet. It's coming, it's coming. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, before we jump into D-Land, Martha. Oh, okay, Martha. How yes. about that? Yeah, let's do Martha. That's so to <laughs> Well, I mean, there is a clone now. <laughs> oh, I thought clone Martha was better than real Martha. Oh, a hundred times better. <laughs> <laughs> when Martha first appeared, I'm really sorry, this is, this is alluding to at least how I felt about Don in the beginning, but when Martha first appeared, my note was, hang on, wait for it, oh wow, I've never been so glad to see Martha before. <laughs> <laughs> but then half an hour in... Oh, we're talking about Martha? here still yeah Mm, she lost me a little bit when she turned into the level of military badass that we got in buffy okay and it like what like super hardcore no it just so incredibly flaccid i'm really really trying to be badass but it's just not working like it's almost like watching that video of you know the lightsaber kids in his room but in his mind, he's probably so badass, and you can tell Martha, she thinks she's so badass when she's walking there. She's practically walking in slow-mo, only dressed in black, and she's like, oh, I'm going to ignore the Doctor, whom I haven't seen for 
aeons. I'm just going to turn my back on him and walk to the road just so that I can stand here dramatically while military dudes parade past me, following my every order. Yeah, which she's constantly barking into, into her, a radio. Into, yeah. yeah, fuck her. <laughs> it was terrible. I didn't buy it at all. So at that point, her stock dropped. See, her stock dropped instantly for me in this episode because they made such an awe-inspiring, portentous fucking mealy shtick out of the TARDIS lands yeah. and you see Martha see the Doctor and you see the Doctor see Martha and they have eight different cameras. you see Donna cameras. seeing the Doctor. Yeah, and you see everyone seeing everyone and then they walk together practically in slow motion. Yeah. Like you just mentioned. You know what? I like that. Really? I liked that entire bit. I mean, but there was nothing... I also liked when she meets Donna. I thought their interplay was really good. No, I thought that, but there was nothing comparable to the Doctor and Martha, the Doctor giving a shit for a whole series, and then suddenly you've got the and, and it's all so meaningful. <laughs> but they're just trying to retcon meaning into their relationship, which just isn't there. Yeah, well... Because that's how you do the re-entrance of a companion. That's nothing to do with Martha. No, you just reintroduce her as though she had some depth to her. Yeah, but... if, if Rose had been coming back... Okay, they would have kissed, but it wouldn't have been much more built up than that, would it? And we'll probably see that later in this series. We'll get to compare Rose coming back and all the, oh, 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 oh my God. Whereas Rose actually did have some profundity. Yes. Yeah. But that being said, I mean, Martha, there was no reason <laughs> really for the Doc and Martha to feel like they had anything in common for, you know, a whole year. But then it culminated with incredible drama and trauma for Martha in particular. Oh. You know, her, her parents get tortured and turned into slaves practically for the master. And she walks the earth like Kane in Kung Fu and she just, she's in the shit, right? So I think in those very last episodes that she's in, that double feature, that's when potentially some profundity was added to the character, except we are not privy to it as members of the audience. Uh, yeah, okay. But I can sort of buy it. I can feel like, oh, yeah. I mean, if let's say she had left after the Shakespeare Code. And then a year later, she rings the doctor up. And now she's working for Eunice. And she's like this faux badass. I wouldn't have bought it at all. I would have. I mean, the doctor, what he should have done is just like turned up and, I don't know, taken a radio and stepped on it and gone like, Jesus, I don't, I don't. I don't even like you. Why, yeah. why do you have my number? Well, let's then leap across okay. to the D word. Okay. Because we are pretty much at the same Shakespeare Code part of the series. The Doctor oh. thinks Donna is leaving at a yes. point in this episode. And he turns on all the fucking maudlin. Yeah. Yep. But also, he starts going about all the places he wanted to take Donna. Lightning skies, broken moods, cascades, the coral reefs of Orinoco flow. Yeah. And Nick, last week said why don't you go somewhere nice oh he's perfectly willing to take her to nice places apparently when she's leaving already but no he sets the button to random the first thing he does fucking switch it up man yeah but then oh, actually in my notes i've got that down as the list odd place names trope because he does that in other episodes of new who in fact it's in some i think it's almost like it's the last episode of every single companion doesn't he do the exact same thing yeah. it's the first and the last episode it's always like oh where should we go should we go to this place or that place or this place and then when they go it's like oh no but i wanted to take you to this place or that place or this place yeah or he'll drop it in at the beginning of an episode and be like should we go to the i oh, know no we'll go to nazi germany yeah yeah of course <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah exactly shall we go to the diamond waterfalls of orgasm delta seven uh <laughs> push random we might get there oh no it's the wild west so 
<laughs> but when she then calls him on it, when she goes, uh, well, no, obviously, duh, I just want to see my family. That's it. I'll be back. When she then quotes one of those locations back to him, doesn't he go, oh, yeah, forget about it. I don't know what I was doing. Yeah. Isn't it yeah, because he he's basically just listing all these paradise locations so that she will be intrigued and possibly coerced into staying? Oh, maybe. I think so. Yeah. I think he's basically like he's adding a tinge of romance and this, I, I wanted to go on a date with you even though he absolutely, uh, basically, you know what it is? It's like astronomical rohypnol. He's trying to schmooze and flirt his way into her pants so that she'll stay. Nah, he's not. Do you not hear yourself? Do you not hear what you're saying? Of course the doctor doesn't want to sleep with Donna. They couldn't be more mutually repels romantically. No, no, I don't, I don't mean it like that. I, what I mean is I, he's trying to portray himself as someone, well, lovable slash bonable in order to keep her around. Like, we're mm. like the best of friends and I see a future for us, that kind of thing. Like, no, I mean, it really did mean something all this. I took you to Nazi Germany because I love, you know. <laughs> but- I suppose it boils down to the doctor is a massive egomaniac, but he's also incredibly needy. And so he's full of shit, but it's not entirely without cause. Yeah. Is that the best you can say? <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, it was weird. But but about Donna... Yes, yes, let's get Donna out of the way. Yeah, so in the beginning, when she's in the TARDIS, I was convinced this is going to be another episode, just like all the other episodes where she's overacting, and oh, it's going to be rubbish. And then approximately ten minutes into the episode, I wrote, I like Donna in this one. Hey! There you go. And you didn't delete that retrospectively. No, I didn't. Sweet! And, and I wrote that, and I remember thinking at the time, like, oh, I'm going to write this now. But you know what? I'm also going to mark down the sound bites, the actual minute and seconds when she says something completely just overacting, uh, so that we can drop it into this episode, and I, I will be vindicated. I'll be proven right once again. Yeah. But I didn't find one. She doesn't over- really? I, I, I felt like she was actually really good in this one. I think everyone acted fairly well in this one. Yeah. And that was partly because it was quite diffuse, really. Everybody got some screen time. Nobody had to sort of carry the episode. I actually did object to a Donna line. I thought that when the doctor said, oh, you're not leaving, are you? And then she started calling him Dumbo and Dunce. I thought that bit was overdone a bit. Oh, yeah. Mm. I thought that whole scene was kind of charming. Yeah. A little bit. I mean, he, he looks so deflated, just having made a complete tit of himself. Yeah. I like, oh, I like that scene. Yes, it, it wasn't super offensive or anything. It's just, yeah. I did sort of cringe a bit where you apparently didn't, so. <laughs> but it's still, it's still an upward trend. I, I mean, mean, it's not, yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm not going to say it's a role reversal. I'm certainly not going to say, oh, you know what? I take it all back. Donna's the best companion ever. I'm just saying I did not find her over the top offensive yeah. or offensively over the top even. So you <laughs> can put one. your knives back in the kitchen drawer, podcast land. Exactly. For this week. <laughs> clearly, I, I will give her a chance. And you think that their chemistry is maybe developing, he said, leading questioningly? Uh, I said that before we even reviewed a single Donna episode. Yeah, I know, and I'm trying Mm. to build up those activation potentials (laughs) and neural pathways. Yeah, it, it may be happening. I wonder if maybe the reason I wasn't so offended by her presence in this episode was that there's not a tremendous amount of interaction between her and the Doctor in this one. I, actually, I feel like she doesn't do a tremendous lot in this one except go back to her fam. Yeah. So and, maybe that's it. And there's a bit of um, snooping, which she comes back and talks about, and there was the scene with Colonel Mace. Yeah. So, oh, actually, oh, she bonded with Martha, yeah. Oh, she did. I loved the bit where she goes through the paperwork. Yeah. I thought that was super clever as well. And it was like, oh, nice, yes. 
Finally, I mean, we had Martha, who was her side career is she wants to be a doctor and she's studying medicine. So in a few cases on New Who, she would get to showcase those skills. It wasn't just, oh, I'm really good at running away from danger or screaming help for the doctor. Yeah, I can yeah. name the bones of the hand. Exactly. There you go. That's already an indicator she has a life outside of this show. And this was an indicator, so does Donna. Yeah, and this was a much better indicator than Wolf Whistling and West Ham last week. Oh my goodness, yes. Yeah, you're right. She fitted into this one much better. Yeah, thank you. I love it when I'm right. <laughs> That's what you were talking about, right? I think so. Yeah, yeah, this is basically what this is all about. <laughs> Episode 140 of Ponkin is right, and more right than you. <laughs> Okie yeah. dokie. Whom haven't we talked about? We haven't talked about the Sontarans at all. Oh, you're right. So we have two actors portraying the Sontarans. Yes. Uh, one of whom you revealed to me only days ago when we sat down and did the intro slash episodes, <laughs> intro slash review of Space Pirates. Yeah, yeah. Oh, because going sideways from Rick Mail, yeah, who exactly. was in The Young Ones, yeah. and then I couldn't keep the secret anymore. <laughs> I just had to bring up Christopher Ryan, yeah. who plays Mike, and also Commander Stahl, the undefeated. That's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Oh, the Young Ones. So, so far we've had... Whom from The Young Ones have we had on Doctor Who? This is going to be my question for you. Has so, anyone else been on it? Has we've definitely had Neil uh, in... Mm, <laughs> Neil. Uh, <laughs> Shut up, Neil. Shut up, Neil. <laughs> Try some lentils. Anyway, Neil... Heavy, heavy, heavy. <laughs> Neil was in... Well, not Neil. What, who's Nigel Planer. Bingo, thank you. Nigel Planer, he appeared in an audiobook that we've reviewed on Who Back When called... Greenhouse? The Greenhouse? Possibly. Uh, JD's Worst Nightmare? Yes. Yeah, Hot exactly. House. Hot House. Well done. Thank you. Oh, you're so good at this. <laughs> yeah, he, he was the baddie, uh, or sort of the baddie in Hot House. And aside from that, I don't know. I was thinking... Did Rick Mayle ever appear on you? I suppose the hiatus came at a really bad time, didn't it? Yeah. Between 89 and 05, because, I mean, their careers all started to tail off around then. They would have been perfect yeah, for coming on that. What has Hedgehog done aside from this Sontaran? I don't know. Well, since the young ones, I mean. And Bottom. And Bottom, sorry, of course. It's tricky, because he was never a comedian. He was the only one of the four who was actually regarded himself as an actor. And you can see that in the photo on his IMDb page. Oh, he has a serious photo. Rick Mail, he, he just looks like he's made a joke. <laughs> Nigel Play. I don't think I've ever looked up on IMDb. But okay, wait, hang on. We should say for our American listeners or non-UK listeners or anyone really who's not necessarily familiar with these shows, check out if you have never heard of this or if you have and just want to check it out again, The Young Ones. It's a fantastic comedy show. I remember that from my childhood. Yep, late 70s, early 80s, punk, anarchy, hilarious. Yeah. About a bunch of housemates. Uh, <laughs> a bunch of students. Students. They it, pioneered the horrible student experience comedy. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then two of them in particular, Rick Mayle and Aid Edmondson, they went on to do another show called The Bottom. And Hedgehog turns up in that one as well. Hedgehog is one of the Sontarans in this one. Yeah. So yeah, anyway, so check those out. Young Ones and Bottom. So now you have the context. I was thinking that Adrian Edmondson would have been a much better King Hydroflax in last year's Christmas oh, special. Oh, score. A hundred percent. A 
100%. Nice. I mean, I know Greg Davis is just a massive, bulky man, but you needed AIDS, just barking mad edge yeah. to carry that king off. <laughs> Save it for the bottom podcast. Oh, man. We should... Are we sensitive podcast? For additional context, his character on the show was called Eddie Hitler. Uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> all right, anyway, so let's get back to the Centauran stratagem. Oh, must we? <laughs> yes, we must. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we have two Centaurans. One of them is played by Hedgehog. And the other one is played by Strax. I don't know his name. Except he's not Strax in this. He's one. not Strax. He's a different Sontaran. So the guy who then later on becomes Strax and also one of the elves in uh, Last Christmas. Oh, yeah. Okay. He's one of Santa's elves in. Uh, oh, you know the Christmas special. Yeah, that's a bit of a come down, isn't it? Frost. You think so? I mean, he's fun. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, he's a proper talking part elf and. A sassy yeah, elf. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember the sassy elves. Yeah, yeah. It's a good part. I suppose they can recast him as Strax because as they Grunt Ross. The yeah, they're all potatoes. Yeah. So, of course, they're clones. So this I mean, they're, they're all wearing the exact same mask. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, although, actually, I think as Strax, he may look a little bit different to how he looks in this one. They made him up slightly differently. Do you think so? I think oh, so. Oh, very possibly. I felt like there was a difference between the two Sontarans in this one, and yeah. partly in terms of scars, I think... Or possibly it's just that one of them is older. I'm not sure. But at the time, I was thinking, as in, not at the time, this isn't a, oh, back in 2008, this is earlier today. I was thinking, (laughs) (laughs) oh, yeah, that's because he's been in the shit so many times. He's got scars. Yeah. And yet he's come out undefeated. Exactly. Yeah, anyway. What did you think of the Sontarans, how they looked? Because as you may have sung in 49 classic episodes, classic (laughs) Sontarans look like taters. Yeah. And... Okay, they still do look quite like potatoes, but... They do. They do, but the shot of the slow-motion reveal of the front of the Sontaran's head and the swelling crescendo of music, like, the makeup department has knocked it out of the park! And then he they, just holds his gaze, sneers at our heroes behind us, and... They put him front and centre. It's like, look at the job we did on Christopher Ryan. Was it not impressive? (laughs) It was super impressive. I mean, we had a look just a couple of days ago when we were doing the Space Pirates thing. We did some Google image searching just to look at some Tyrants in Classic Who. And you know what? They already looked good then. (laughs) Better than expected. Yeah, Yeah. they definitely looked better than expected. I mean, compare that to maybe the Zarbi or some other nonsense that appeared on, on Classic Who. But they already looked good then. So then exponentially all the technology that went into creating those costumes <laughs> just skyrocketed since then, right? Now, if you've got a pretty good concept, back then I'm pretty sure they had the helmets that were also potato-shaped, you know, <laughs> that they then take off and then there's a potato in size. Yeah. So it's a good concept for any makeup artist, I'm sure. Sorry, long story short, yeah, they did a fantastic job. Cool. They started from an even better place, is what I'm trying to say. I see, yeah. What did you think of their hacker? Their blatant, we're not quite Maoris, but this is what the New Zealand rugby team do before a match. We're doing this before a war. Sontaha, Sontaha. I hated it. Well, I didn't... I mean, is this something, a a tradition from Classic, presumably? They do remember every war. I don't remember. I mean, sorry, I'll say this. I didn't hate it, per se. I thought it worked really well when the Sontarans were doing it, but when not Hugo Drax, little murderous Mark Zuckerberg joined in, it made me want to... Hurl things at the television. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, but look, he's finally found a place he can belong. You know, he's finally finally joined a crowd. Oh, down there, they're they're not good enough for me. I'm so much better than (laughs) you. 
spot on impersonation. What was it I wrote about little unloved Luke Rattigan? He's looking at the world. I mean, when you're at that age, it's so easy to be unable to see beyond yourself. You just look at the world and you think it's yours for the taking. And then when you can't have it, your ego would rather see it destroyed and everyone you love burn rather than having to bow your head to the reality of you're just another schlub in a world full of them who needs to learn their damn place. Because you think the world's too small for you, but you're actually too small for the world. Think about that. That's all spot on. That's all perfectly valid. And I'm sure it's valid in lots of different contexts. Maybe not necessarily literally dominating the world type context, but yeah. Yeah, what is Luke's endgame? Does he just I'm telling to you, man, destroy? It's, I reckon he's Hugo Draxing the shit out of this story. Except yeah. he can't go to space on his own, just like he couldn't build CO2 whatever's on his own. He got all that tech from the Sontarans. Now what was the thing like Did he build a browser? Was that what happens? Is that what they say? Search engine. Search engine. Yeah, okay. So he creates a search engine. This catches the Sontarans' attention. They're like, this Google dude? He, he's got it down. And then they get in touch with him. They're like, hi, would you like to take over the world? Or rather, would you like to help us take over the world? Yeah, you have pretty thorough understanding of coding and SEO. We think you'd make a good global dictator. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because those things go... Well, they do Actually, go hand in hand. it's not even that. They don't want that. They're completely open in front of him. They're completely open about their intention to subjugate mankind. And I don't think that there is any intention to hand over the scepter to mini Mark Zuckerberg. No, that's not going to happen. No, I not think they're going to subjugate mankind, they're going to take over the Earth, and they're basically going to give him a space rocket. Him and his red jogging outfit clads creeps. Okay, well, they had better be super intelligent, because... They're not super sexy bevy of babes, which, if I'm honest, I'd be packing into a massive sausage party. Oh, yeah, well, maybe those guys are just his type. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, but are they not going to populate another planet somewhere? I guess maybe they can just clone each other. Maybe. It's so unclear. Yeah, very, very little has been expressed here. I still think he's Hugo Draxing this thing. Okay. Okay. So, I know we put moratorium on Donna, but we're not arguing about her, so how okay. about we shoehorn Donna and Cribbins in? Yeah, all right. Hooray. Wilfred Mott. I love Wilf. Yeah. He's wonderful. Cribbins, I mean, every single time that he's appeared in anything that we've talked about on Who Back When, be it an audiobook, a comic book... A terrible film. (laughs) (laughs) You say that. I really like the film. Okay. What, the Cushing film? I love it. I mean, it's exactly like the Hartnell serial. Every single time that he's appeared in anything that we review, we all bow our heads in respect, in awe of this man. He is so charismatic. He's so wonderful and lovable and charming. He just charms the pants off you. Yes. Platonically. Every time, every scene. Yeah. He doesn't have bad scenes. Everybody else has, you know, an awful, yeah, overacting moment. I mean, we can see him with Donna and, well, his daughter on the show, Donna's mum, on screen at the same time. And Tennant. Tennant constantly overacts. And somehow I feel like he stabilizes the situation. He stabilizes the scene where we just have him, Donna, and her mum in the kitchen just by sort of winking or raising an eyebrow oh, when she's so starts... impish. Yeah. But it's perfect. Like, all of his, the most minuscule mannerisms, every tiny little idiosyncrasy of Wilfs is pure gold. Yeah. Love it. Love him. Oh, I'm spent. <laughs> <laughs> what a massive man crush on, on Cribbins. <laughs> Who knew? So I, I take it we agree. Sorry, I just yes. completely bogarted the mic there. 
Absolutely. I have nothing to add. <laughs> what about him hotboxing uh, towards the end of the episode, then? I mean, he turns into a bit of a bumbly Mr. Magoo in that scene, and I like it. I think it's fine. He's a granddad who can't really handle technology like cars. Yeah, and he reacts with confusion, but even then, it's it's measured. He's perfectly in control of his emotions and what he's conveying. Yeah. You know, he's an actor with decades of experience, and he just seemingly effortlessly puts it on display every time. Yeah. You know, he's agitated, but he's not panicking and he's not screaming and the camera doesn't linger on him. I did like the end of the episode. I like the beginning so did I. and the end. I thought the beginning was really cool. With the exception of the hack up, uh, up above. Yes, the hack was annoying. I like the chaos down on Earth. Yeah. And okay, we've got more time to spend on it because it's um, a two-parter. But the episode and because been... it's fairly ineffective gas. Yeah, it's taken <laughs> quite a long time to do anything. <laughs> By the way, I mean, <sighs> we only see one person actually affected by the gas, right? And that's Wilf. Oh, yeah, because he's... The entire rest of the street. There is no one either in a car that is parked or in a car in traffic. We don't see crashes or anything like that. We can just imagine that there must be absolute turmoil, particularly downtown. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess this is Chiswick, mid-afternoon, possibly oh, a weekday. On but the Chiswick still, Expressway. Thousands yeah. of people have just died. Yeah. They're alone. Oh, man. No, you're right. See, they tricked me. They showed me a picture of a car park, and I thought, oh, what's a lot of cars? And that satisfied me <laughs> on an unconscious level, and I didn't need to see the cars, but you stayed alert to it. You weren't suckered in. Ah, it's because I don't drive. <laughs> <laughs> you put this in a realistic context i think of world destruction no you're right well i suppose is that maybe it isn't so much that they um cheaped out although they undoubtedly did yeah but in gathering fog how do you have like spectacular visuals of lots of cars crashing you're just going to see sort of sparks and billowing dust yeah and screams and car horns and fire i suppose yeah yeah i think so y yeah you've got a better director's imagination than me Okay, they cheaped out. <laughs> but I liked the overall sense of chaos. Like, there seemed to be more than one thing going on. Yeah. You know, there seemed to be more than three people involved. But it's also, I think, really clarified by that shot. When they're performing the haka up on the spaceship, they're doing so in front of, like, a windscreen, or like a windscreen, a space viewer thingy, overlooking the Earth. So they're basically, they're looking at global destruction. They they haven't got a telescope directed at one road in Chiswick. They're looking at the Earth, and they're basically going, right now, 400 million weapons, and that then prompts them to sing and whatever. But they're looking at the Earth, and therefore you already get that sense of scale. Yeah. Without needing to show people in Japan in a tiny Japanese car on a beautifully tarmac Japanese road, just panicking, like in every other episode we've yeah. ever seen. In my head, I just got, like, you could have the parody French version as well, where it's someone in a tiny Peugeot. <laughs> it's, oh, what's his name? Oh, what's the actor's name? Uh, Jacques Tati, I'm thinking. Okay. <laughs> in a tiny little Peugeot or a Citroën or something, trying desperately, like, fumbling in his car, trying to get something. Oh, no, I, I don't know. They Sorry, French people. could have had Romangeri and three other French actors just smoking outside a building no. and just not noticing that the fog is the same. <laughs> Because they've been standing there smoking all day yes, in exactly. that exact cloud of fog. <laughs> and then cut to some kids in the States actually hotboxing. And Fuck, I'm not man! <laughs> this is some strong shit. <laughs> I said the States because I don't think that's an English expression. Because I know that as a concept from US TV. 
Keep yeah, that second and, and, and for our many American fans. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I want it to be inclusive. But just to leap back to the cold open for one hot minute. Yeah. I did like the sat-nav. I thought that was really effectively creepy. Going, you have reached your final destination. Yeah. I got a little tingle for I that. feel like I've seen that in other films or TV, though. Final destination? Oh, maybe. <laughs> if they stole it straight from film of the same name, then I suppose that takes away some of the luster. I wonder if that's where I'm recording that from. I feel like something to do with a big tech company taking over and trying to kill people here and there. I feel like that's been done before with exactly the whole Tom Tom thing. But then, okay, so I've got another question for you. So why, if all Atmos does is clean up your emissions, <laughs> uh, 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 <laughs> why is it also driving your car? Why does the sat-nav say atmospheric emissions control or whatever it says? It says omissions control. Which... <gasps> oh, my God. You know what? That's what I wrote in my notes. And then afterwards, when they say emissions, I go, oh, I must have just misread that. That is literally my top notes. Atmospheric yeah. omission system. System, it says. Yeah. Question mark. Holy shit, Rooney. Yeah, because I, I was watching the episode with the subtitles on, and he definitely it dash- was omission. Dash- yeah. Is that deliberate? Is that a joke? Well, it's to make the acronym work, isn't it? But, you know, if Luke Rattigan is such a genius and such a stickler, he should be able to think of a better acronym. But <laughs> atmospheric, atmospheric omission. We're omitting the atmosphere. <laughs> well, is that because of the temporal hotbox, or what do you call it? The temporal and also, um, wait, converter? Yeah. I don't know. Atmos. He's complaining about the Doctor misusing Atmos as a, an acronym. Like an ATM machine. Exactly. But if you're saying if for atmospheric omission system to turn into Atmos, couldn't Atmos just be atmospheric? You know, couldn't that just stand for atmospheric? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> it's too late in the night for me to think of an 11-letter acronym that would <laughs> work with atmospheric. <laughs> no, you, you see what I'm saying, right? Atmospheric omission... Uh, I don't know what Oh, I'm I saying. see. It's a contraction rather than a abbreviation. Exactly. Or the other way around. It's a contraction rather than just the first letter of an acronym representing that word. The whole acronym is, in fact, a contraction. Yeah, that makes much more sense. That's what I was trying to but say. Oh, you're much better at saying what I'm saying. But then you can't have the Doctor with... They have that special little moment. Yeah. Where he, he squeaks at him. That's true. In his tiny rage. In his huge office. Which brings me to... Mm-hmm. I would like to ask for two sound bites, please. Soundbite number one, they are practically sequential. Soundbite number one, 29 minutes in, he talks about something looking like a thing. Finding the middle ages. No, no, I'll tell you what it's like. It's like... Finding this in the middle of someone's front room, albeit very big front room. Why? What is it? Nah, this looks like a thing, doesn't it? Because people don't question things. You say, mm, it's a thing. Leave it alone. Me, I'll make these connections. And this, to me, looks like a teleport pod. Which is hilarious. And so, finally, he feels fun. And that then leads immediately to the next soundbite, which is even better. And which, ladies and gentlemen, Drew and I quoted at each other in perfect synchronicity <laughs> before we press record. <laughs> namely, 2930. We have an intruder! How did he get in? Intruder window? Intruder window. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, 
it's all good. RTD has been inserting <laughs> lots of little puns in in this series, but this one, I mean, maybe it was Helen Rayner. Yeah, who, I was who wrote say, this is not RTD. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, wow. I would give her another chance after absolutely the, the awful two parter of last series. Yeah, she wrote Daleks in Manhattan and Evolution of the Daleks yeah. in this two parter. Yeah. And when I saw her name come up, my heart sang. Oh, really? I don't. I, I'm not, <laughs> not mincing my words. I thought. Goodness sake, this is why we didn't have another woman writing an episode till series nine. <laughs> I was prepared for this to be a complete fucking failure, and the reason why we haven't seen so much of the Sontarans since. Well, until Strax. Yeah, yeah. I suppose. Completely. I mean, we see quite a lot of Strax. Completely changing up that species dynamic, though. He's, yeah, that's he's true. like. Neutered. Yeah, he's your tame version. He's <laughs> yeah. he's your wharf. He's your um. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. What's the Ferengi who isn't Quark? You know, every alien's got to have one <laughs> go through Federation Starfleet Academy or whatever it is. That's Strax's role. <laughs> so I was still juggling at intruder window. <laughs> it's so good. Stop being funny. <laughs> But yes, I mean, you can see the relish with which Tennant is giving that. He's learnt how to be joyful again. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And when he isn't overacting around it, because I think you have objected to the sorts of little elements of farce that have been introduced in this series, and I thought you might object to these puns I have nothing as well. against farce, and I really enjoy... You, you know that I enjoy puns, but... Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you, in the last episode, and I quote, I may even soundbite it. Oh, really? <laughs> I no. may even do an inter-episode soundbite. This is getting very meta. You said... Dude, 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 have you ever seen a pantomime? Yeah. Did you like it? <laughs> well, there you go, you see? I think if you're more inclined to the pantomime farce end of the spectrum, then you love Catherine Tate, and I'm all about the pantomime farce, but you, you're you a more I do enjoy that, but that's not Doctor I Who. That's like an entirely that. separate thing. There you go. Whatever you said, that will decide what, the argument. What, what did I say? Well, I don't know. We'll have to let Podcast Land decide whether no! I was right or wrong. But I think what you said was, but that's not the show. That was not in reference to Foss. That was in reference to Panto. I remember oh, you saying, I think, well, maybe I'm misremembering. This is so bad. I've just lost this argument twice in a minute. Once <laughs> via the soundbite and now via your memory. Shit. I'm just going to let you take the next point. No, no, I, I may very well be misremembering this, but I remember at least at some point you saying that her overacting is reminiscent or is sort of in the tradition of pantos. And I am not a fan of pantomime. I'm just not. I don't feel like that goes hand in hand with Fast, though. There is very clever and very sophisticated Fast, and neither panto nor prior Donna Noble appearances except are in it. small, Except in small parts. In small parts. She has her moments. She has, yeah, she does, she does. And agency, and a ready wit. But anyway, I mentioned Starfleet a couple of minutes ago, so we yeah. have to keep that in. Okay, yeah. Here's a question. <laughs> okay, go for it. The Doc identifies the Sontaran tech as, oh, this is decades ahead. Oh, yeah. So presumably, if he wanted, he could basically solve all humanity's problems with his super-advanced alien tech. He could actually yeah. do what presumably happens a few decades from now. We figure out how to stop cars emitting noxious gases. He could just completely change the world. Do the Time Lords operate to some sort of prime directive, is my question. Yeah, that's a good point. Because he, he loves the he Earth. He sort of does, doesn't he? 
Well, he loves the Earth so much that if he doesn't, why isn't he making our lives better? <laughs> okay, another question, or well, same question, but regarding units and torchwoods. So in this case, they're going in. Oh, by the way, we have to talk about how they go in looking for illegal aliens because that was really creepy. But yeah, so so they go into this factory and they're looking for illegal alien technology. Yeah. Yeah. And fast forward to prior episodes of New Who said in the future, where the Earth has just built up to the point of having destroyed, like, we have destroyed the Earth. Like, we have completely destroyed the Earth. Yeah. I mean, if you think back to the episode that we did, the gridlocked episode, where there are fumes everywhere, surely this takes place after the Sontaran stratagem and thus after mankind has had access to this CO2 reducing technology, right? Yes. So in my mind, that means, oh, Unit and Torchwoods, when they identify illegal alien technology, no matter how beneficial it is to mankind, they subtract it from society. Wow. That's um, limiting. I think so. Either that or it's, I mean, sort of a plot hole. Well, I suppose that that is how to keep the series basically in sync with reality as we know it, isn't it? I guess so. Well, no, not necessarily, because, well, what's going to happen? Let's say that this show survives mankind and the TV series known as Doctor Who survive for another 3,000 years, then all of a sudden it's going to be a little tricky, because where do you go from there? Yeah, or how do you explain have, all the plot holes? Yeah, and the lack of cat people in real life. Exactly. That's embarrassing. Yeah. Whereas now, it's fine if we can find all these things that solve our problems right now, and then every now and then we have an episode where we go into the even less and less distant future that becomes more and more utopian, if that makes sense. Do you see what I mean? So right now, we have problems with the environments, but in 200 years' time, thanks to the technology that we have stolen from aliens right now, yeah. we will no longer have those problems. Yeah. And that will only be problematic for the show from a narrative point of view if the show actually lasts another 200 years. Yeah, okay. That's what I'm trying to say. That's a good point. Okay, well, <laughs> hang on, can I prompt you to comment on my own segue? Yes, yes. Uh, yes. Yeah, from illegal alien technology to illegal aliens. They, mm. they talk about that, they name-check Guantanamo. Yeah. And the whole unit organization seems very much like, oh, well, handcuff people first, ask questions later. Yeah, in the interests of homeworld security. Oh, yeah. Yes, exactly. That's some late 2000s gentle military industrial complex satire right there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There are some moments where it's, oh, it's a little creepy. It's, mm. it's almost like it's eerily accurate. And when Donna says, oh, is that what you did? You turned this doctor into a soldier. No, he turned this doctor into a fascist <laughs> with quite some... I mean, I, I don't mean to take a political stance or anything, but there are some very xenophobic undertones in the way that UNIT acts here. Yeah. That are quite... I mean, I guess they're part of the... This was shot in 2008, 2009? Yeah, so it's a product of its time. And, I mean, just like we're still products of that same time. But, oh, yeah... It's not what I remember UNIT being. I remember UNIT just fighting the good fights. Yeah, and I think they revert more to that role later. There is definitely um, a subtext at work yeah. here that maybe Moffat didn't pick up from RTD because after a while, in isolation in this one episode, it's um, a couple of uh, little chuckles, but... Were that to drag on, then you'd just feel morally conflicted about the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The point I made in relation to Unit's investigation of the factory is, 
what the fuck do backup do all day are they just sitting in the lorry playing cards backup in backup? this you know call for backup call for backup oh i backup see never arrive you're right never ever in anything in the history of narrative <laughs> <laughs> or human endeavor backup are, are getting wasted from monday at nine to friday at five you never ever see them yeah no, you're right. They're getting wasted playing backgammon and flirting with the local girls. We do get to see a ton of soldiers pour into this facility and then they disappear. Oh, yeah. Do we not? We see them come in and handcuff a bunch of factory workers and then nothing. And then actually, okay, so here's a nice thing. I like that we get to see both sides of the coin because the two soldiers that go down into the basement and who actually stumble upon the Suntaran, A, they were very bad soldiers. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't very clever. Couldn't even deduce that the two completely brainwashed chaps were obviously completely brainwashed. Pigmen without the makeup. Yeah. And also, actually, I have a question for you about them as well, but hang on one second. But they were also, I feel like they were misusing their authority. Oh, what, the one guy saying, ah, we'll get first dibs on this, this will be our key to promotion. That but not just that, I mean, they were pretty shitty towards the two brainwashed dudes. Until they were finally let through. Yeah. They weren't yeah. like, hello, yeah, I'm very sorry, you have to come with us. They just, they assumed guilt before anything, but then they acted as though they knew that these people were innocent, because they didn't try to arrest them, they were just pissy with them. Yeah, you know, aren't a swell bunch of chaps in this episode. No. Okay, so a question about the brainwashed dudes. Okay. They are hypnotized, right? Yeah, hypnotized drones or whatever. But they also seem to reply to either telepathic or something commands from, um, what's his name, Stral? Stahl? Stahl. Mm, There's even that moment where they both turn to each other practically nod to something that the soldiers haven't heard but that we have heard the Sontaran up in the spaceship say yes yes so right. he's commanding them in some way probably not telepathically there's some technology involved but it's more than just hypnosis right yeah okay follow-up question just to round that off yeah why don't they do that with the two soldiers are they not doing that with the two soldiers oh wait hang they on sorry hear any more commands yeah no, but... no no sorry 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 why don't they do that with martha sorry they do that with the soldiers why don't they also do that with martha oh well just so that we have a clone the clone bath? The clone bath? Do you mean the human being from Community who gets turned into Martha? Oh! There it is! I knew that there was going to be a Community reference in this one, but I didn't know what it was going to be. Oh, spot on. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> the human and, being. And do you think Dan Harmon possibly, with his Saw love of Inspector Spacetime, based <laughs> the human being on this very guy in the green gurgly shit? <laughs> That's possible. Unlikely, but possible. <laughs> I think he probably just looked at some weird Splatex gimp porn and, and <laughs> took inspiration <laughs> from that. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. Sorry, was there a question? I was uh, so pleased that yeah, why don't they the do that with Martha? Well, why they, not just hypnotize her? Or whatever. They said, oh, we need something extra. Whether that's just the cloning, whether that's a different process, What's I don't the really extra? know. They do nothing more with her. They get her to lie to one of the soldiers. Have you found anything? No, nothing yet. Exactly, she's the perfect mole. But she does no moling. <laughs> she does nothing. Oh, but she smirks a treat. Oh, she does smirk a treat. But the two soldiers manage to confuse her as well. They trick her into coming down to the basement and the clone bath. Yeah. 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 Actually, hypnotized Martha would have been just as capable, wouldn't she? I suppose. I think so, yeah. I mean, maybe she'd have been more slow-witted. Is that the difference? Because they do move very slowly and they don't talk very much and she needs to be on her game. Well, actually, you know what? She's still clone Martha after this episode right yeah so maybe something very clever is going to happen in episode two or, ha or have you seen it already you haven't seen no, it no never right even better i don't remember anything about it so yeah 
Here's hoping. Yeah, I did also like the Bride of Frankenstein gurney. Oh that yes, Martha was on. Right. So Todd is wiki slash IMDb reveals that a loss of gear is uh, recycled in this one. So the gurney comes from a Torchwood episode called the Cyber Woman or something like that. Cybernetic woman, cyber woman. I want to say cyber woman. I'm not sure. Okay, so one giant Frankenstein homage, I'm assuming. Yeah. As I recall, a somewhat, actually, like most of Torchwood, fairly sexy episode. And, oh, yeah, uh, of course. Of course. Oh, I'll shag you, I will. <laughs> is how I imagine. I, I've never seen an episode of Torchwood, but I just imagine it's Captain Jack going, Anyone want penis? <laughs> oh, I'll have some of that, I will. Stick it in my mouth. <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly what every episode... Congratulations, yeah. you've spoiled the show for countless listeners. The, uh, <laughs> Save them a lot of time. <laughs> and tissues. <laughs> All right. <laughs> the, uh, the clone bathtub yeah. is the fountain from the fires of Pompeii, the fountain in the middle of the atrium where, <laughs> uh, what's-his-face, Capaldi lives. Okay. And the headgear that is placed on Martha's noggin to extract her thoughts and then later implant them into the clone, yeah. they are repurposed later on for some other episode. Can't remember which one. If you feel like super drawing them, then, or super doing future drawing them, then do so. Otherwise, cut this bit. Let's just keep an eye out for them. <laughs> and if we spot them, well, if we don't spot them, let us know, Podcast Land. You know, we're busy. Yeah. <laughs> Good call. Do you have anything else that you really desperately want to talk about before we close this one off? Oh, I've got a question for you. Go for it. When we first get the whole introduction of, oh, Martha now works for units. Oh, yeah, I don't wear a, you don't see me wearing a gun, do you? Yada, yada. Oh, well, they're about to have a massive EastEnders Barney, and then they just pull back from the brink. Bingo bongo, that's the scene. Or possibly shortly thereafter. There's a bit where she says 50 people or whatever died at the same time. They had all been poisoned. And she specifies, as I am a super cool doctor, I did an autopsy, and it's a really special kind of poison we found no poison in them uh, so my question is how do you know they were poisoned if there was no poison in them and if at least one of them drowned in her car or is it not more likely that they just drowned her in the car they didn't gas her and then drown her i mean the lady that we see in the very opening the the cold open on this of this episode yeah She's in a locked car underwater, right? Yes. She's clearly going to drown in that car, right? Yeah, I, I can only assume the Atmos system goes off for insurance to stop her surviving as long and maybe finding a way out, kill her quicker. You think so? Yeah, maybe. So that means that the car is entirely... It's perfectly isolated or and perfectly insulated. waterproof, yeah. Exactly, that's what I'm trying to say. It's perfectly waterproof. So when they dragged the car out, there was a perfectly breathable atmosphere in there. <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> and returned entirely to normal. Exactly. And somehow this person just died. But what, so there are no consequences of this? Like, I, it's not cardiac arrest or anything like that? So Because otherwise the doctor, the autopsy would have shown, oh, well, she had a heart attack or something. The best I can give you is that they all displayed symptoms consistent with poisoning, but no toxic agent was found. Otherwise, it's complete bullshit. 
and makes no sense. Really? Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, because to say, yeah, they were definitely poisoned, we but found there was no poison. Exactly. Because that's it the, was that advanced. Yeah, that makes no sense. That's the only way yeah. it can be like, yes, there were holes in their organs that poisons leave, but no poison in those holes. That is the only way I can make sense of it. Yeah. I just feel like it's belt and braces because they drowned the woman. Yeah. Anyway. It seems <laughs> a little confused. Yeah. Okay. okay. What else? The other thing. I have, which is a thing I looked up on TV Tropes. TV Tropes calls it the Shahrazadi Gambit. Oh, yes. Of yes. course. Which is when a Santaran, who is fairly disposed to shoot you, has a gun pointed at you, but you say, you're a Santaran, and that's enough for it. You did mention this before you press record, otherwise I, I, I will confess I had never heard of the Shahrazad Gambit before. But so the, is that specifically naming your foe? Or is that just proving that you have more knowledge than they can risk getting rid of before finding out more? The Shahrazad Gambit does cover, oh, you're interesting to me because you have information I didn't expect you to have. Okay. Which, Story checks out. Which pretty much every James Bond film ever. Of course, let's have dinner and I'll explain my plan to you because I know you're a pretty charming guy and I thought of a really devious way to kill you <laughs> rather than just shooting you and ending the film an hour early. I guess, yeah. Yeah. Also a side effect of that. I think only Doctor Who is this lazy where with they, the gambit. Where they specifically have the naming of the alien. Yes, because I had you check up the first instance of this. Well, the only instance that I can think of, or that I could think of anyway, was in the Shakespeare Code with, I can't remember what they were called out, the Carrionites? The Carrionites. Carrionites. That one actually wasn't so lazy, because at least they had the rationale in freezing. I named the Carrionites, and then all of a sudden yeah. you defeated them. Yeah. Because in that episode, words were a form of magic, and they carried power. Yeah rather than the other episode in which they've done this is Doomsday where Rose goes oh no you're the Coscaro that's interesting isn't it better keep me alive aren't you <laughs> and the Daleks go certainly <laughs> make yourself comfortable <laughs> And so on. So, yeah, when that happened, I was not impressed. I thought that could have been done better. Okay. All right. In fact, <laughs> if you're a Sontaran and there's someone going, you're a Sontaran, shoot them all the quicker. Shoot them immediately. This guy knows too much. Clearly he is a threat. Yes, of yeah. course. In every other instance, you bump that guy <laughs> off before he can tell someone else the knowledge he has. Well, maybe uh. that they don't really care because they figure the entire planet is going to be dead very soon. Uh, maybe, because Sontarans are easily distracted and prone to wanting to run down blind alleys and they're not single track minded at all yeah you're yeah. right story definitely checks yeah. out i did like the pink weasel line oh yes yeah when uh jenkins oh, you look like potatoes oh yeah he does look like a tater he does look like a tater but also we look like pink weasels but then so do time lords since they're all humans of course and obviously there are other colors to us weasels there are brown weasels there's lots of weasels time lords as well I Correct. don't know how to get out of this I'm not a racist <laughs> sort of trap I've set for myself so another thing in this in this episode that I I thought was really really cool and I think this may be the final thing on my list to be honest okay uh, and that is oh no it's the penultimate one it was the very brief mention of a temporal pocket yes I didn't like the execution of this, and I felt like there was absolutely no explanation about it. 
or for it, but I really thought that it was a very clever idea to have the true nature of the Atmos system be just slightly shifted behind them in time. I thought that was very clever, and that's why we can't see it, because it's always just, like, right behind you. I thought that was very clever. Yeah, that's sort of a sort of Moffat-era concept, isn't it? That's proper hard sci-fi. Yeah, exactly. That is high concept. That's it. uh, Then, I didn't like what it looked like when he unshifted it. I thought it looked ridiculous all of a sudden. Oh, right, so it's spiky. Hence evil. So that was a bit naff. Also, the only way the Doctor got to that point was he sonicked it for a really long time. Yeah, and only because he knows that it's Sontaran technology, so now he knows exactly what he's looking for, apparently. But does that mean, and this is really the takeaway from this, does that mean that Sontarans have mastered time? <laughs> I mean, hmm. would you say that they, they're lording over it in a way? Could you say that maybe <laughs> they are time lords in their own right? Because apparently they are able to manipulate things temporally. Yeah. That's not something that I would... I, I wouldn't attribute that to Sontaran culture. Yeah, that also that is a universe-destroying idea, yeah. potentially. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I, I didn't like the way he sonicked it for a really long time and it went spiky, and then he sonicked it for a really long time, and then it started emitting gas, and then he sonicked it for yet longer still. <laughs> and it's like, not only do we have the magic key, but now we're that yeah. lazy that if something's really difficult to open with the magic key he just points it for longer exactly that's an even shorter cut than before i didn't think it was possible (laughs) (laughs) so what's your super actually ultimate note oh oh, i shouldn't have ended on this one i should you know what i'll have one i'll have one i'll I'll call for it yeah yeah let's do that no no you end on this terrible one and then i'll counter with an absolute barnstormer to bring the house (laughs) down (laughs) (laughs) okay so i'll rattle off bullet point style Clone Martha, all gooey. How many people in podcast land, or how many people in TV land thought Clone Three-Way? Next up, <laughs> I have a, a note that I failed to provide context for myself about. I've written, why can't they just do the thing? And <laughs> why can't they just do the thing? I'm not sure what that means. Oh, and then, <laughs> I have no idea what I meant by that. And then, in case, and by the way, ladies and gentlemen... Drew is editing this episode, so Drew, in case you want to pop in the music cue that I referred to before, I found my note. I, I've written, I wonder if it's from original unit episodes. It's at 18 minutes and 45 seconds. Here you go. Okay, I'll check it out. I mean, that may not match up on Netflix, but I'll be in the area. Excellent. <laughs> okay. What did you think of the Doctor and the Squash Racket? And the back of the neck. See, I don't know whether I liked that or whether I hated it. Oh, yeah. I thought it was really fun, but I also felt like it was a reckless (laughs) risking someone's life. I I felt like, isn't this him potentially killing the Sontaran? Oh, if he gets it bang on, you mean? Yeah. Yeah? If he plugs the vent with the ball, perhaps. If it's right in the bullseye. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. (laughs) No, I I really liked it. Did you not like it? I, well, I mean, I suppose I just wish I was better at racket sports. (laughs) Yeah, all right, give him it. He's 900 years old. He's probably got all sorts of facilities in the TARDIS. Well, he used to be, we've talked about this on uh, Who Back When before, he used to be really good at cricket. Yeah, he used to be Peter Davison. Exactly. And as a consequence... Maybe the, some of those skills are transferable and translate to squash tactics. Yeah, okay. Story yeah. checks out. Yeah, there you go. Thank you very much. I liked the mini Arrival, because Arrival is built around interspecies communication problems, and little Luke Ratigan says, 
Oh, that's cool. What does the temperature have to do with it? Is that oh, of significance? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it wasn't brilliant, but it was all right. And yeah, now... I, I like that kind of joke. Yeah. Right, so where's my super balanced thing? <laughs> Something just sprang to mind. Did you like the doctor's comments of, yes, I did used to work for these people. It was a long time ago, in the 70s, I think. Well, I didn't, because I'm not a classic fan, but I know that every classic fan splooged their balls. In perfect unison. Yeah. So much splooge. But also, it was a long time ago in the 70s. A long time ago in the 70s? Oh, when he's 900 years old. Hmm. I mean, and that was many, many lives ago for him. Yeah. I mean, we're talking the third Doctor. Hmm. Yeah, well, I suppose it because the third Doctor lost his TARDIS, if he's going to have a temporal reference on Earth that's really stable yeah. in his memory, then it is that unbroken period in the 70s. I suppose, yeah. Otherwise, he's just nipping in and out. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah, cool, cool, cool. Okay, we've explained that one. All right. Okay, this is how the Doctor navigates the peril. Okay. He basically does the exact same thing as in The Voyage of the Damned. Like, instead of interacting with the Emperor Nero angels and their sort of AI system, Mm -hmm. he has the exact same thing with the Atmos box here, but he reverse psychologies it. All he does is say, like... Drive me into the river, then. And it's like, drive, not drive, drive, not drive. I can't compute. Hit the deck. Tiny sparks. That was great. The tiny (laughs) sparks were great. Yeah, I like that as well. (laughs) Don't know whether I like the reverse psychology, but... Yeah, that was maybe a bit cheesy, a bit pants. But no, uh, that scene, the payoff, worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I liked the really crap puns <laughs> that that soldier, that unit soldier delivered. I can't remember what it was now. Oh, it drives me crazy. Drives me around the bend. Drives me around the bend and something else as well, I think. I can't remember. I, either way, loved it. Really bad puns. And the last thing, just for completeness. Yeah, And because it's it. about cribbins, is that there are two last things. Oh, okay. Sorry. Second last thing is cribbins. We now know why he wasn't at the wedding. In the Runaway Bride, because he was laid up with Spanish flu. Oh yes, because apparently he, an, an he was in 1918 at the time of <laughs> something. <laughs> I suppose Spanish flu must be still around. Sure, they couldn't give him bird flu. It was a, a misnomer, a mistyping. It was a Spanish fly. He couldn't go to the church because it would be frowned upon if he went there with a, an unstoppable boner. Spanish fly. No? Oh, dude, Spanish fly. It's like a legendary uh, erectile dysfunction remedy. (laughs) Okay, okay. And the last thing, I thought that we had got to the end of this episode without a single countdown. Oh. And then, in fact, I thought we got to the end of the episode without a preview. And then after the end credits, we have both. Yeah, next time on Doctor Who, ten. (laughs) You can't do this. Nine. (laughs) (laughs) Ah! (laughs) <laughs> and so on. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I think that's it for me. That's it for me as well. Shall we jump into some ratings? Let's. And now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la, 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 la. Ratings. Okay. This is as close as I get to a quick rating. Better acting in this one. Sometimes look good, but like last week, competent show, lacking brilliant edge. Predicted Google cars well. Okay, Google, stop drowning me. Martha's okay, but nothing new to her range. Tenant's okay. Luke's boring. Difficult to rate, hence I'm prevaricating. Check my procrastinating. Isn't it irritating? 3.2. Wow. <laughs> Excellent mini. <clears throat> They're getting more yeah. mini. This is almost a micro. That is very nearly a micro. 
Okay, I will bullet point a micro though myself. Not offended by Donna. Score. <laughs> Surprisingly enthused by Martha. Okay. Like the Sontarans, like the villain overall, loved Wilf, everything that we've talked about for the past hour and a half, I'm giving this a 3.6. Cool. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to seeing what part two has in store. Sorry, I kept that very short because I've, I feel like I've really just been splurging into the mic for the past hour. But yeah, bingo yeah. bongo. 3.6. Listeners. We have a listener mini, I believe. Okay, great. Who's it from? It's from Tracy. Nice one, Tracy. You've got a good run going here. Hello, Tracy. Is it time for a mini again already? Very well. This time I choose to recite a list. She goes on. Beginning. A mystery. Intelligent teen has invented a CO2 to O2 converter, but what's the nefarious purpose underneath the alien tech he's using? This is interesting. I'm in. Funny. Doc says, careful, to Donna as she steers. Then he hits the TARDIS console with a mallet. <laughs> yeah, very true. Scary. This didn't happen the first time I watched it, but this time I actually felt really awful when the factory is raided to look for illegal aliens. It's a little too pertinent right now, and they in no way specify if they mean humans from other countries or humanoids from other planets. Mm, very true. Listen to Steve. Smart Steve. Listen to Steve and don't touch the green ooze sarcophagus. Wait for backup. Sorry, Tracy, it never arrives. Yeah. <laughs> Steve is right to be afraid. Fear is the correct response. No, stop. Listen to Steve. Oh, never mind. You're both doomed. <laughs> WTF PTSD. Martha gives that. He's like fire speech. And I think, man, she has seen some shit. Sorry, got to break in there. I hated that line. Oh, uh, he's like fire. Yeah. Yeah, it's he so cheesy. Who were near him. Oh, it's so cheesy. Oh, <laughs> now, I'm feeling better about my 3.2 being less than your 3.6 right now. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that line. Dear Brits, what are you talking about? Why does Donna's mum reference Michael Palin while scolding Donna? Oh, Michael Palin. You know yes, I do. Well, Michael Palin uh, posts Monty Python and still today, I believe, is traveling the world doing all manner of travel documentaries. They're great, by the way. Yeah, he basically became the BBC's travel globe-trotting guy. He yeah. went from the North Pole to the South Pole and through all the countries on the way, and he went around the world in 80 days. He did a whole series of them. Yeah, and, and I mean, there are some shows with some profundity, and then there are also the, like, here's what you can do in the Costa del Sol. When you're Michael Palin. Yeah, exactly. When you can get away with all this shit. But yeah, yeah, they're very good. Anyway, yeah, she goes on. Character. Really interesting interplay between this lonely 18-year-old and lonely Time Lord. Mm, actor. Pretty sure this guy is Strax. <laughs> Ending. Donna's granddad is great, but he does have a knack for charging straight into trouble, doesn't he? OMG. Break the goddamn window open. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Use some blunt force trauma or, or <laughs> <Yeah>. something. <laughs> rating. Kitten in a bowler hat. Couldn't agree more. <laughs> that's closer to my rating, by the way. <laughs> yeah, probably. In brackets than yours. What if she's a dog person? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Right, well, that's it for this episode. Tis indeed. What's coming up next? I was just struggling to remember, but now I do remember what it's called. Next up, we have a classic Who episode. Actually, sorry, I should say, it's very close to Christmas and New Year's. We may only have a bonus episode before 2017, but... Will it, it be bloopers? It may be bloopers. bloopers. We shall see. Oh my bloop, God. Bloop, 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 bloopies. But in terms of reviews, next up, we have a classic Who review. It's going to be of The War Games. And of course, the next new Who will be The Poison Sky. And the next audio Who will be... <laughs> oh, goodness. The Cannibalist. Yeah, In 2017. Cannibalist. Can you promise that much? 
It's coming in 2017. It's not up to me, man. It's not up to me. Okay. I'm not doing it on my own. <laughs> I'm waiting for JD. <laughs> I need completion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize he needed to be here. <laughs> are so, we still doing Twitter? We are still doing Twitter. You are? Drew Backwen. I am at Ponkin. You know how to spell that. So uh, high five us online. We will high five you right back. Thank you so much for listening. You've been a treat. Be right next to each other. Rock on and cha-chao. Bye. Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends. Don't have any friends? No problemo. Tell some strangers. Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash who back when. All in one word. Are you on Google Plus? Then find us on Google Plus. That's plus who back when. And when you do, tell us why you're on Google Plus. Who Back When just got its very own Twitter account, no lie, so give us a follow. You guessed it, that's at Who Back When, all in one word. Check us out on SoundCloud, vote us up on Reddit, listen to us on Stitcher, and head on over to our website, whobackwhen.com, where you can leave a comment, submit a review of your own, and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters, and more, which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. Not only would it make us super chuffed, and it really, really would, but as thanks, we will transmigrate your iTunes nom de plume into the credit list of trailers for fake Doctor Who audiobooks produced by Who Back When. Have a poke around our bonus episodes to make more sense of that. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next classic Who review, new Who review, or <laughs> still funny, audio Who review. Cha-chao. Who Back When.